All right, hey, open your Bibles, if you would, to the book of Luke, the Gospel of Luke. And it's going to be chapter 17, Luke chapter 17. And we're going to start in verse 11, Luke 17, verse 11. And this is God's word. On the way to Jerusalem, Jesus was passing along between Samaria and Galilee. And as he entered a village, he was met by 10 lepers who stood at a distance and lifted up their voices saying, Jesus, master, have mercy on us. When he saw them, he said to them, go and show yourselves to the priests. And as they went, they were cleansed. Then one of them, when he saw that he was healed, turned back, praising God with a loud voice, and he fell on his face at Jesus' feet, giving him thanks. Now, he was a Samaritan. Then Jesus answered, we're not ten cleansed? Where are the nine? Was no one found to return and give praise to God except this foreigner? And he said to him, rise and go your way. Your faith has made you well. Let's pray one more time. Father, May the truth be spoken and received here today. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, I open with an illustration that I think every single person in this room can relate to and, you know, maybe is even guilty of. But uh, I think every person in this room can at least relate to this. Um, Each of us in this room can probably think of a person in 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 our lives who tends to primarily take. And, uh, you know, I think we all move into seasons like that, too. Uh, Dr. Young once said, and I, I totally agree, that when a person is in deep, 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 deep pain, when a person is in, in, his trauma, in trauma, all they know how to do is take. I mean, you really think about that. If you're drowning and you're about to sink under the waves, all you know to do is take the life preserver that somebody's thrown out. I mean, so, so there are periods where everybody moves into that. Periods of great joy, too. I mean, it happens to brides all the time. It's my wedding. Well, they're a little self-consumed uh, at those times of great joy. Um, but think about it. Um, each of us has people in our lives that tend to only take, that tend to, to, to pull from us and don't give much. They're friends, to be sure, but... Um, your friend seems to be doing all the taking and the asking and the encroaching and the intruding and the invasive stuff and all that stuff, and you seem to be the provider who gains very little. Uh, do you have someone in mind? They're called children. They're ki- children. <laughs> children. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well noted. <laughs> well noted. Um, but friends, think about it. How does your heavenly father regard you? I mean... You know, with children, you love them, and yet, and, and even, even animals, even your pets, you know, they walk in, they're like, I love you, sort of, feed me. I mean, they just want what you have. Um, but what does your heavenly father think about you? Um, and, and, you know, if you, if you know me a long time, that's not normally the way I, I like to phrase things. I, I don't want to be up here going, can't you give something back to God after all he's done for you? That's not my style, man. Um, I don't even think that's, that's healthy preaching. Um, but, but I don't want you, for the sake of your souls, to forget the right relationship you have with your father that only the son could accomplish and what it's supposed to do. You know, it's been called the great exchange, right? That uh, you... 
uh, your accursedness is put on Jesus and his righteousness is given to you, well, that is supposed to cause in us a great welling up of thanks. Thanks is, um, uh, um, is, a, is an outpouring of uh, what has happened to us uh, in salvation. And you may wonder what all that has to do with uh, 10 lepers uh, a couple of thousand years ago, but I'll tell you that um, it, uh, it's the most relevant thing in your whole life. You've heard this term, personal savior, right? And uh, it's kind of a catchphrase. I accepted Jesus as my personal savior. Um, that's not a verse in the Bible. It's a, it's a, it's a thing that somebody came up. But uh, we talk about a personal savior. Um, the Bible is very clear that God is a personal God. He's a communicative God. He's a relational God. He made us so that he could share himself with us and that we could enjoy him in his glory. Um, he's a personal God, and we have a personal Savior. Well, um, that's a distinction of Christianity, friends, that we've got this personal God, and it, it makes a difference because our gratitude is given to a person. It's a totally different thing than sitting there going, I feel pretty fortunate. I mean, have you tra- who's been to a third world country? Raise your hand if you've been to a third world country. Let me tell you, it'll shake you up, won't it? Where you walk in and you just see poverty, not like you've seen here, but poverty that's just stifling, that, that, uh, where you just see an empty eye socket with flies buzzing around it. And, and uh, if, you, if you dare to pull out one weird coin out of your pocket, 35 children rush you and almost knock you down. And you just see people on the ground and people in the dust. And, and, and it's just overwhelming where you just don't even know where to begin. Uh, but here we are in America, and um, we've got this personal God that we can give thanks personally to. I forgot why I was talking about third world countries for a second. I strayed from my notes. Um, but, but I guess what I'm trying to say is this, that uh, we've, we've got a sense of gratitude to someone rather than just being fortunate. That's what I was thinking, is, um, you know, we, we're fortunate to be in this free country, and we're fortunate to be in a climate-controlled place. We're fortunate to have clean water. We're fortunate. I feel very fortunate to be in the United States. It's, it's totally different than being filled with gratitude toward a gift giver. Someone has given a gift, the gift of salvation, the, the gift of common grace, um, the, the gift of being a caretaker and savior of, of your soul. And it's just so, it's so different than just feeling fortunate, um, giving thanks to someone. So it's a, it, it's a hallmark of Christianity, and uh, even more so, I'll put it this way, thankfulness authenticates salvation. If you don't have a thankful heart toward this living God, then um, there's a question mark on your belief system. Um, without that, um, with, with just a sense of feeling fortunate, um, that, that's, that's not the same thing as a, as a child running back to the one who saved you and falling at your feet and wanting to worship as we have in this scene here. All right, so to set the stage of what's happening here, just a few chapters earlier, Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem where he knows he will be killed and, um, you know, he, um, oh, where is it? Yeah, yeah. They're on their way to Jerusalem, and um, there's, there's kind of an awkward scene. They, they go through, um, they, they go through um, where is it, Samaria. Oh, I'm a few chapters back here. I didn't write my chapter in here. But they, they go through, um, and they are, they, oh, shoot. Hey, I'm tripping around. They go through a Samaritan village. There it is. They, they go through a Samaritan village, and the people don't receive Jesus. 
And the disciples witness this. They, they witness that the Samaritans are, are not fond of Jesus. Um, and uh, likely because he's not going to be camping out there for a while. He's moving on to Jerusalem, all right? So, but they don't take to him. And the disciples witness that, all right? So they already have a bit of a bad taste. They're, they're, they, they understand what Samaritans are anyway, which, by the way, Samaritans, just so you know, when, when uh, Israel and Judah are captured, all right, and they're, they're up and they're taken away by the Assyrians, the Babylonians take over the Assyrians, and the Babylonians and the Jews intermingle and intermarry, so they're kind of like this half-breed culture. And uh, when, when they come on back down, the Jews and the Samaritans, they don't get along at all. Uh, furthermore, the Samaritans only believe um, the, the word of God to be the Torah, which is the first five books of the Bible. They only believe Moses stuff. They don't, they don't care about the prophets. So there's a, there's a, there's a division. Uh, they're divided. Uh, they don't like Samaritans. There's uh, racism, all right? And so the, the, the disciples have seen this and they kind of understand this uh, situation of a, of, of a Samaritan and all that. And furthermore, Jesus has already used a parable just in chapter 10 about a Samaritan who helps somebody who's wounded on the side of the road. The hero of the story in Jesus' parable is this Samaritan, all right? So it's this, this, this interesting framework for this story. So to the first point we go, which is this, contamination by nature separates. Look at verse 11. On the way to Jerusalem, he was passing along between Samaria and Galilee. There's kind of a road that kind of goes over the Jordan. Um, and... Um, they enter this village, and Jesus is met by 10 lepers. Now, let's talk about leprosy. Leprosy has been a human malady for thousands of years. And um, it's contagious, it's mysterious, contagious, but probably through um, bodily fluids, nasal fluids. It's probably not sexually transmitted and all that stuff. But if you want to get online and see some really shocking uh, stuff, get online and look at pictures of leprosy because there are there are strange bumps, there are horrible lesions, there's plaque on the skin, and uh, what happens is it, it, it produces nerve damage, it can produce blindness. I mean, you'll see people with just these horribly strange, um, uh, strangely affected eyes, and uh, th- because it causes nerve damage, they will uh, lose feeling. And so, you know, you, you bang your foot and you go, ow, I banged my foot, uh, uh, and I cut it. But if you can't feel it, you don't even know it. And so what it does is it causes all these other infections and so on. And so you'll see people with fingers and toes and, and, and a foot, missing a foot. It's just really, really horrible. And so um, it, it's a sad scene. Ten lepers, um, they stand at a distance. And why are they standing at a, at a distance? Well, they're standing at a distance because of God's law. And it's not a mean law. It's a law to protect um, Israel's health, all right? So don't turn. But back in Leviticus, it says this, that um, the leprous person who has the disease shall wear torn clothes and let the hair of his head hang loose and shall cover his upper lip and cry out, unclean, unclean. He shall remain unclean as long as he has the disease. He is unclean. He shall live alone. His dwelling shall be outside the camp. And that sounds like, oh, well, that's just so mean and horrible. But friends, I mean, typhoid, they had to put people on an island off, the, off of New York to control typhoid, so it didn't overtake everybody. Um, when you have infectious diseases like that, protections have to be put in place for the greater good of everyone. And so these poor leprous people 
have to, if they see somebody coming toward them, they have to say, whoa, 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 unclean. Don't come near me. I'm unclean. I'm unclean. They have to stay at a distance. And so they live their lives on the fringe of society. They're separated from everybody. And there are leper colonies to this day in India and Asia and other places. Those, those things still exist. Um, and so is God separating these people because he's a big meanie? No, he wants to protect people, uh, keep them from being infected and inflicted. And so there's a parallel in the mind of the gospel writer who is ultimately the Holy Spirit. Okay. So it's in, in our in our gospel. Remember, it's a it's a it's a theological story. It's not a linear history. It's a theological history, and so the gospel writer Luke is trying to communicate something to us. He's including this story um, for for a reason, and I think there's there's a spiritual parallel. You think about it, leprosy. It's a passed on disease. Well, so is sin. We're born in sin, saith the scriptures. I mean. Um, the, the, the Psalms say, from the moment my mother conceived me, I was in sin. Well, gosh, that means you're born in sin. We're born in sin under Adam. If you don't like that, then uh, you better be careful because Jesus is our federal representative on the salvation side, all right? So it's like leprosy. Um, infected, it's permanent, it's life-threatening, it's life-taking, it's health-robbing, um, and... Um, it's, it's a tenacious and permanent disease, all right? And so to our passage here, he enters the village. He's met by 10 lepers. They stand at a distance. They lift up their voices and they say, Jesus, master, have mercy on us. Now, let's apply this to our lives. This is a narrative, okay? It's a, it's a, it's a, it's a story that tells us what happens. It's not a parable, it's not, it's, not a, it's not something that Jesus is using as a teaching or hiding uh, illustration. It's a narrative, uh, but there's also the spiritual undercurrent. So we have 10 lepers, and uh, we'll find out in a minute that one of them is a, is a Samaritan. But for right now, here's the scenario. They're helpless. They're doomed. They're societal outcasts. Um, and uh, they're, they're, they're isolated, and they can do nothing but cry out for help. They see this Jesus, this famous itinerant rabbi, preacher guy who, who, who heals, um, and they cry out for help. That is a picture of the gospel, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, infected, can't help yourself. It's just like the person drowning and about to go under the waves crying out, help me. Uh, that's, a, that's a gospel picture. All right, we'll talk about more about the gospel in a minute. Our second point, restoration by nature connects. Um, look at verse 14. Um, when Jesus saw them, he said to them, go and show yourselves to the priests. And as they went, they were, they were cleansed. And so that's pretty amazing, isn't it? He, he sends them on their way. Um, he sends them on a mission. And as they go health starts to flow through their bodies and they realize that they are being healed. And indeed, they are healed. And um, if, if that's troublesome to you, um, that, that something could be supernatural, um, then boy, you got a real problem with uh, salvation because that's a supernatural work also. Um, uh, so as I said, leprosy is a contagious disease like typhoid or whatever. But notice the nuance in this, what, what Jesus instructs them. He says, go and show yourselves to the priests. Now, why does he say that? 
Well, because in Leviticus 13, it says, and it shall be shown to the priest. All right, so if somebody had skin issues, they would go to the priest and they would say, hey, priest, I got this weird thing. And the priest goes, um, that might be a leprosy or take 10 days and uh, stay away from worship for a while and cleanse yourself and all that. What does that have to do with, with, with our lives? <laughs> um, well, in the Mosaic law, something is presented to Israel on a regular basis, and that is what God is like. All right, so God writes this book. He installs this system for the nation Israel, and it's supposed to communicate something to us that transcends all cultures, all time. I mean, we're talking about things, you know, thousands of years ago that still are relevant. How, do, how would God, how would he be able to communicate something to us that would, that would transcend time and years and cultures and, and, and all that, belief systems? Um, well, he installs this law. And, and things about this law communicate something about God, that he is holy, that he is separate, that to approach him requires something very special, that, that we don't cavalierly approach God. He's not, uh, you remember, uh, what if God was one of us from about 22 years ago? Just a slob like one of us. Remember that? Just a stranger on the bus. Trying to make his way home. Something blah, that rhymes with phone. Blah, 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 alone. Um, is that a picture of the Bible's God? No. He's just some slob on the bus like that. Just defeated. That is not the picture that, that, that the Bible presents. He is the Holy One of Israel. He comes down on Sinai in, in, a, in a storm. And when you approach him, it's got to be a certain way, not a cavalier way, not the way that you dreamed up, not your sincerity, not you think, oh, he likes trampolines, so I'm going to give him trampolines. Not that. He, he is only to be approached in the way that he says. And so in the Mosaic law, cleanliness, health, all these things are communicated in a way that we go, wow, okay, this is kind of a big deal. The way you approach this God, he's clean. He's clean. That's the message. This God is clean. And he'll only have people in his presence if they're clean. Has to do with the right worship of God here then. So when Jesus says, go show yourself to the priests, he's, he's not just thinking of, um, of public health. He's thinking of the right worship of God. All right, so to, to, to describe this point before we move on, um, in verse 14, the end of it, it says, and they were cleansed. And so you have this group of people who are indeed moving in faith. Jesus says, go show yourselves to the priest. They do. And on their way, they're cleansed. What's the application? Well, there's a profound picture here. And uh, the Bible wants us to see uh, a spiritual lesson, and it helps us better understand salvation. And here it is. Lepers were social outcasts. And here's what it says in Leviticus 13. The leprous person, you know, has, uh, has to wear torn clothes and all that stuff. Um, it, uh, it, there's all kinds of gross stuff. If the disease is green, reddish in the garment, skin, and the warp, woof of any material, blah, blah. Um, case of a leprous disease, it shall be shown to the priest. All right? Lepers were cut off is the point. Lepers were socially cut off. They were cut off from worship. They were thought of as unclean. In fact, they had to shout, unclean, unclean. Think about that. 
That would be a very hard thing to live with. Lepers had a permanent life-depleting problem. Lepers couldn't help themselves. And again, it points us back to the gospel, back to the gospel. All right, our last point. Um, Surface faith versus saving faith. Look at verse 15. Then one of them, when he saw that he was healed, turned back, praising God with a loud voice. And he fell on his face at Jesus' feet, giving him thanks. Um, that's, uh, that's more than just happy. That's more than just wow. He's on his way. He realizes that, that, that help has come, that, that uh, health is burgeoning in his system, in his body. And what does he do? He cries out in a loud voice, praising God. And he goes to Jesus and he falls on his face at Jesus' feet, giving him thanks. You see that thankfulness is this now instinctive thing that comes upon him. The other guys are on their way. In fact, Jesus condemns them in a way. Um, he says, we're, weren't 10 cleansed? We're the nine. I mean, I, I'm kind of I'm shocked that these guys aren't all turning around going, wow, unbelievable, Jesus, thank you. And they fall on their face and they're so happy and they're praising God. Um, but but it's, it's a surface faith rather than a saving faith. And this is a saving faith. Uh, Jesus ends up telling him, rise and go your way. Your faith has made you well. Or your, your, some of your translations may your, say, uh, your faith has saved you. But he falls prostrate at Jesus' feet in this worshipful stance. That, that's, what, that's what salvation looks like. That's what a saving faith looks like. It's not industrial. It's not just uh, going on my way and feeling fortunate about it. It's giving gratitude to this personal God. It, it's, this, it's this desire to worship. Um, and notice that the, that, that the personal thanks is to God. It's to Jesus. Uh, big difference uh, between feeling fortunate. And then there's this cool footnote. Now he was a Samaritan. Now that's not there for dramatic storytelling, okay? It's not, it's not, doesn't make the story better. It's there to show that people who are on the fringe of society, who are even on the outside of that society, can be brought in and made whole. And Jesus asks a poignant and telling question, he says, hey, weren't there 10? Where are the nine? Uh, was no one found to return and give praise to God except this foreigner? And he says, hey, uh, rise and go your way. Your faith has made you well or saved you. Now, turn in your Bible, if you would, uh, just real quickly to Psalm 50. And we're almost done. Uh, Psalm 50. And let's pick it up in uh, verse 7. This is... Um, this is one of a number of passages that, that talk about uh, what makes sacrifices pleasing to God, all right? Um, he says in verse, uh, uh, Asaph is the, is the psalm writer. He says in verse seven, uh, uh, speaking for God, hear, O my people, and I will speak. O Israel, I will testify against you. I am God, your God. Not for your sacrifices do I rebuke you. Your burnt offerings are continually before me. Oh, sure, yeah, you're, you're making offerings. Oh, church, 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 church. Verse nine, I will not accept a bull from your house or goats from your folds. For every beast of the forest is mine. The cattle on a thousand hills. Hey, folks, that's a life principle. You're only giving God what he's given you. I mean, you realize that. That's a good life lesson in here. Hey, um, it's my, my worked hard for this money. Not your money. Hey, 
Don't tell me what to do with my body. Not your body. What? I have a right to do with my... You don't have any rights. What? Hey, I've carved out this time. You don't have any time. These are my children. They're not your children. This is my wife, not your wife. You don't have anything. God is the gift giver. And all you give back is what he's given you. That's, that's thinking sanely. That's thinking biblically. He says, hey, I got the cattle on a thousand hills. All the beasts are mine. I know the birds of the hills. Everything that moves in the, in the field is mine. If I were hungry, I wouldn't tell you. Everything's mine, mine, mine. Nothing is yours. It's all mine. And in verse 14, God says this. Here's what I want. Offer to God a sacrifice of thanksgiving. That's what God wants. He just doesn't want the formula. He just doesn't want the rote activity. He just doesn't want church attendance and saying cool Christian lingo. That's not what he wants. He wants the heart that goes, oh, Lord, me? I mean, the most unlikely, the one on on the fringe, the one outside of fellowship, the unlovely, The leprous, me? Wow, you saved me? And you fall on your face in thankfulness. And contentment shows up as a hallmark in your life. It goes on. Verse 15. Call upon me in the day of trouble. I will glorify you and you'll glorify me. Look at verse 23. The one who offers thanksgiving as his sacrifice glorifies me. To the one who orders his way rightly, I will show the salvation of God. My point is that salvation and thanksgiving are inextricably linked. I close with this. Um, I, 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 do you, anybody follow mental floss on any of your things? I, I find them very interesting. I read a whole bunch of them. But there's this, you know, the scientist dude and, and uh, um, uh, science fiction writer guy, Isaac, how do you say it? Asimov? Uh, is that it, Asimov? Anyway, I was reading about him, and he, that he made in 1964, he made all these predictions about 2014. He made like a dozen predictions about 2014. It's pretty interesting. Um, a lot of them are right. Like, nothing's going to have a cord on it. It's pretty good. All right? Here's another one. We will have colonized the moon. All right, he got that one wrong. But he got the cords right. But... Um, there, there, were, there were a whole bunch of them. But you know what the number one was? His, his number one prediction in 1964 of the people in 2014 was this, that um, everyone would be incurably bored. And aren't we all bored? I mean, isn't the culture bored? You know, I remember there's somebody in this classroom who told me years ago when he first got an iPhone, he said, I'll never be bored again. And you know what I was saying? I don't know about that, but I was also going, but maybe so. (laughs) I mean, you got all these apps and no one had ever heard of an app before. You're downloading all these things. You're tailor fitting it to your life. I mean, I have guitar tuners and music notation things and photography things. I got all these things out here, news. And I mean, I can just, you know, you're just bored. And I mean, everybody's staring at these things. But aren't you bored out of your skull? I mean, once you've run through all the news things and everything, you're like, you know, you don't know what to do. You're so bored. Friends, I can tell you. Oh, yeah, and by the way, he says this. um, Yeah, he says, uh, mankind will suffer badly from the disease of boredom. 
a disease spreading more widely each year with growing intensity. This will have serious mental, emotional, and sociological consequences. And I dare say that psychiatry will be far and away the most important medical specialty in 2014. The lucky few, lucky, who can be involved in creative work of any sort will be the true elite of mankind, for they alone will do more than serve a machine. I am bored. <laughs> and you know what? That's a sin problem. Um, you know what your cure for boredom is? Thankfulness, I would suggest. If you want to apply it practically to the Christian life, your cure for boredom isn't finding the next thing that occupies your thought for a second. It's looking at your life and with contentment saying, God has poured out his saving riches upon me, and I'm going to count them and count them and note them and pray them and talk to others about them and sing them and enjoy them and revel in them and revel in this God who is the gift giver. That's the gospel, friends. Um, God saw our situation. He saw our desperate need. He poured out his grace, which is to give us something we didn't deserve. But he also poured out his mercy because he sees our misery. He sees that operating outside of his design causes misery. That's what mercy is. He sees our pain and he addresses it in Jesus Christ who came to live the perfect life Lay down that perfect life that we might receive his righteousness and fellowship with this God who is clean. Why can we fellowship with this God who is clean? Because the cleanliness of Jesus Christ is reckoned to our account so that God sees that and he is not frowning but singing over us. Let's pray. Righteous Father, um, we pray that we would be a thankful people and not just... um, formulaically, um, not just before a meal, not just before a Thanksgiving meal, not just on some special day. But we pray, Lord, that um, as we move through life together, as we um, observe food on a table and as we observe shelter that we live in and as we observe a, sh- a church we uh, worship in and relationships we're privy to and, and uh, indeed our relationship with you, we pray that we would be a thankful people um, more and more so, Lord, Cause that to well up in us. Um, Let it be an instinct for those who have tasted of the great gift of eternal life. And we pray it in Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, everybody. Appreciate you.